making a movie physically and mentally destroys you. You know, it just, it just does. It becomes such a labor of love that sometimes we neglect to look at it as a business. People lock into this idea that there is a correct way to do things. There's not. There's a million ways to do it. Video has become the most effective way to get people to do something that it is you want them to do. It's time for filmmakers to get real with Jeffrey Michael Bayes and Forrest Day Jr. That's right. This is the Get Real Indie Filmmakers podcast. If you want to suggest show topics or suggest guests that we should have on the show, be sure to tweet us at Borges Film or email info at Borges.com. On upcoming shows, we have the great Steve Kaplan, the expert in comedy, and we also have Josh Friedman, uh, the founder and creator of the, uh, what is it called for us? The app, the... Uh... Crew Me Up. Crew Me Up. That's right. I always forget that. I don't know why. Now, I actually have it on my phone. I downloaded it. Uh, it was released just a few days ago. Oh, yeah. But on today's show is Heather Hale, and we're talking about how to create a pitch for your film that people actually get excited about. You know, at every stage of the process, you have to explain your film to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's got a way to craft the perfect pitch, uh, depending on who you're pitching it to. Now, we also, this is our first show since we did our breaking news of the Distriber closing. Yeah. And we do recommend, if you're interested in that story, uh, go back and listen to those, those interviews we did. As it turns out, everything we broke on the show turned out to be true. So <gasps> there has now been articles in Variety, LA Times... Lots of coverage of this story, and it's all true. So mm -hmm. we had it first. Yeah, a lot of people so. are going to lose their lose, you know, money and movies and yeah, and and you know, this what happened is you know, filmmakers paid money, paid thousands of dollars in upfront yes. costs and fees to get their film distributed, uh, you know, on iTunes, Amazon, Hulu, mm -hmm. and distributor went quiet and took their money. It's a mess. It's a real it mess. It really is. It is a mess. And uh, I believe I've seen posts that Amazon has deleted films that were connected to Distriber. Netflix is actually working with filmmakers to get their films uh, switched over to another distributor. So, yeah, it is a mess. And so, um, you know, <laughs> good luck getting your royalties. Right. It might be interesting. It will be interesting to see a year from now how this plays out. I'd like to hear from some people, too, that maybe are going through this right now. You know, reach out to our podcast. Yeah, and, and tell us, you know, email us or, or contact us through the podcast and let us know how you're making out with your film. Right. And, and tell what us what you have planned for. And tell us how much money you lost. Email us you know, at like, info at Borges com is our email address. Mm hmm. So. And by the way, Forrest is trapped in his basement at the moment. That's right. My wife left and <laughs> locked the cage and <laughs> took the keys with her. Yeah. And uh, you cannot climb out because you... Uh, no, my foot, foot is, is killing hurt. me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Are you going to be okay for this interview? I, I, <laughs> I'm going to plow my way through it. Okay. All right. <laughs> 
I'll be fine, Jeffrey. All right. Well, we'll take a break and we'll see what happens. Uh, We're talking with Heather Hale today, author of Story Selling, How to Develop, Market, and Pitch Your Film and TV Projects. That's one thing Alfred Hitchcock was really good at, creating suspense with a camera. For the last couple of years, I've been teaching Hitchcock suspense techniques at festivals like Buffalo, St. Louis, Palm Springs, Los Angeles. Filmmakers are learning easy tricks for building suspense that are so easy to implement. Now there's a way for you to get access in my new book, Suspense with a Camera. It's available in bookstores now. And don't miss our free docuseries on YouTube called Hitch 20. That's a theme song from Hitch 20, our series on YouTube by Radislav Drakovic. Uh, The uh, rendition of that famous song, Funeral March of a Marionette. On the show today is Heather Hale, and she is a writer, director, and producer. She consulted on many projects that won Emmys. Uh, So how often do we get uh, Emmy winners or not, not often those connected with Emmy winners. Yeah. But we get lots of cool people yeah. regardless of what they've won or what they've done. I, I find that the, the people that we interview, such a wide, varied group of people. I love it. It's exciting talking to all the different people. Heather did write the Lifetime movie Courage to Love. And she That's right. wrote and directed the movie Absolute Killers. Mm-hmm. She's also author of the new book Story Selling how to Develop, Market, and Pitch Your Film and TV Projects. Great book. It is yellow, so it's hard to lose, right, Forrest? <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. It's, uh, But it can be done. It can it be done. Because you can't find your copy. <laughs> I couldn't find my copy. I know I have a galley kicking around. But I would like to find out how to pitch my film. So let's talk to Heather Hale, shall we? All right. Sounds great. Heather, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. What we uh, would like to talk about today is this whole idea of of pitching your film to other people. And the point that you make in your book is that depending on who that is, the pitch might be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Do you want to expand on that and tell us what yeah. you mean by that? Well, if you're pitching to a star you're going to focus on the role. And maybe you're pitching to someone who's going to play the antagonist or the villain. So that pitch might be quite different than the pitch to, say, a director. You know, so the director's pitch, if you're a producer or you're a screenwriter and you're pitching trying to get a director to attach your project, you might be talking about um, the visual opportunities and, you know, maybe how it taps into the zeitgeist of the time period or something like that. Where if you're pitching to an actor, you're trying to pitch that one role and how they can sink their teeth into that role. A producer, you might be pitching, as a screenwriter, you might be pitching to a producer to show how it could be profitable. Maybe it's a contained thriller or something. It's a low-budget horror, and you're using comps that show that it could have some breakout success potential. Also, you could be pitching to a brand or a financier. You might be pitching to an equity investor, trying to show them how you're going to honor your fiduciary responsibility and take care of their money like it was your own, or to a brand on how this is a fantastic opportunity for them to hit their target audience. So it's it's 
it, maybe 80 to 90% of it's the same. It's just the angle gets adjusted for whoever your target audience is for that pitch and what the end game is. You know, you don't just pitch and get a check. Maybe you're pitching to get baby steps, milestones, attachments, letters of interest, you know, a distribution contract or commitment, whatever. It's whatever you're, what, what are you going after? And then you need to position your pitch such that you're you're moving towards that for that one individual. Now, when you say pitch, are you talking about an email or uh, or a phone well, call could, or? It could be all of those. A pitch yeah. could be a verbal, you know, the cliche iconic elevator pitch, which is more likely a you know on a market floor or at a festival, standing in line for a movie. Uh, it could be a. a cold call pitch over the phone. It could be an email pitch. It could be an in-person at Starbucks, or maybe you've rented a room at a hotel for a little seminar to for local equity investors. It could be a PowerPoint presentation. It could be an online uh, interactive uh, password-protected website. It could be a Microsoft Word brochure. It could be anything. So what you're saying is that you have the story, you have the log line, and that the log line and synopsis are going to be included at some point in the process of pitching. But so you're saying that the opening of the pitch would be like, say, you're talking to an agent about an actor. Uh, he'd be really good at playing a villain or something like that. Is that what you mean? Is, is it like the opening uh, sentence of the email? Uh, maybe it, it could be your subject line. It could be your your PS, which is often read more than anything else. So I think it's, it depends. It, is it your conversation opener? Is it you've, you know, um, built rapport and broken the ice and now you're transitioning into your pitch? It just sort of depends on, again, what the scenario is. Pitching at a pitch fest is wildly different than an on-the-lot studio pitch, right? Because, and, and sometimes you don't know who you're pitching to. Sometimes you get into the room and it's a surprise who's there. Sometimes you've had an opportunity to do due diligence on everybody who's going to be in that room. So it depends on how informed you are prior to the pitch, how empowered you are, what kind of assets do you have? Are you going in pitching a concept? Are you going in pitching a packaged project that's got a budget, a schedule, a you know, a writer's Bible, a couple episodes written and two attachments, like, or, and 30% of your money raised. It just sort of depends. There's this whole spectrum of who you are and where you are at your point in your career and what right you have to have written this. If you are an incredible subject matter expert, or it's your life rights, or whatever your point of view or worldview is that you imbue that project with. And all the way to, uh, you know, what are the assets? Is this an award-winning screenplay? Do you just have a concept? You know, what is it that you're, what is it that you're actually pitching? What are you selling? And then uh, not just what is the asset, but what is the scenario? Are you looking for partners? Are you looking for buyers? Are you looking for a uh, joint venture? This, you know, it just depends on what you're trying to pitch. Wow. There's a wealth of uh, things to think about. Uh, I never, you're, you're like, my mind is spinning hearing all this. This is Forrest, by the way. Um, what, what would you recommend to a first time pitcher? Like when I hear this, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like, like, I don't know what I'd be looking for. How would somebody well, Forrest, who's never done this before? That's because you hmm? didn't read the book. <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't get if the If you book. had read the book, you would right. know. I, but no, to, to answer your question. I heard it's beautifully written. It though. is wonderfully yeah, it is. written. Yes. No, honestly, to tell you, um, 
with everything, any kind of art, you start with the artist, right? You start with mm-hmm. what compelled yep. you to work with this idea, this project, this story. So who you are as an artist and what you bring to the project. And that's true too. If you're a producer or director pitching somebody else's material, what attracted you to the material? What's your point of entry for that material? So mm-hmm. assuming we're a screenwriter, first time screenwriter, maybe, or an author who's trying to adapt their project, whatever, you start with you and your material. So what is it you love about this project and why are you the right person to have written this project? What do you bring to it that is unique? That is always going to be, in my mind, the first, the first point of entry, the starting step. Then you look at what do you have and where are you trying to go? So if you have a screenplay that you've finished that you're really proud of and you're trying to get an agent or a manager, you're looking at how can I market this as something that they're going to feel that I'm someone who's going to be really good to work with and this is a marketable concept and it's executed with brilliant writing. That's the very first step. So in pitching, you might be pitching your your project to maybe an agent, maybe you're pitching yourself as a writer to a manager because you've got some good inventory that they could make money off of. Maybe you're pitching a project to a producer because they've worked with the person you envision to play the protagonist. Maybe you're pitching it to a local business because they have the skating rink that's the perfect location for your mm-hmm. indie comedy. Um, or the local uh, bakery or restaurant because you need to feed your crew and you think they you could use their location and highlight it. So it's it's again just starting at the basics, and I think a lot of times people get so caught up in, you know, wanting to go beyond where they're at. Where are you at? What do you have? What are you selling? Who are you selling it to? And in the book, I talk about that—the who, what, where, when, why, how—the you know, journalists, journalism one hundred and one—the basic, basic, basic. And it doesn't matter if you're a rookie, a neophyte, if you're a veteran. You know, people who have lots and lots of credits and decades of experience still have to start at ground one with every project. So you you can be pitching throughout, whether it's the beginning of the project, the middle of the project, and even the end of the project. So basically, you can be pitching this thing to a, a theater to show it, you know, so, say you're a small indie film and you want to show it at a theater. So you've always got to have like this pitching um, yeah. sense of mind. Absolutely. You could be pitching yeah. it to four wallet to try to uh, qualify for, maybe it's a short film you're trying to qualify for an Academy Award. So you want a four wallet and you're pitching it to a local theater to, or, you know, LA theater. Mm-hmm. You could be, you're pitching every step of the way. And what I find is interesting, and I have too many years experience writing and writing everything and doing a lot of producing where I'm hearing pitches and I've worked with a hedge fund, I work with a TV show. So I've been on all sides of the desk in every scenario, pitch fests, um, you know, the on studio lots. I had to deal with NBC for four years. So I got to pitch on the lot a lot. So I've had mm-hmm. a lot of these experiences. And what you learn is, especially as the writer, you're at every minute you're pitching, you're refining and honing your project and you go back and rewrite and it gets better and better. And the questions and stumbling blocks and hurdles that you encountered during a verbal pitch, make it clear that there might be plot holes in your screenplay. You might have a problem in your second act that you weren't aware of because it didn't land in the verbal pitch. And as you're rewriting it, you're seeing where are those moments that 
you know, might be ultimately in a, a trailer. They're the highlights or the lowlights, the, the wonderful twists and turns, and those might need to be in your verbal pitch. A, a great example is, or an exercise is to try to script your AV script for your trailer. Like, what if you had all the money in the world? And what if you had A-list stars? What would the clips of that trailer look like? And that's probably what your verbal pitch ought to include. Not necessarily in the same order, but those moments. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow, that's okay. interesting. Because so I've done it, that. It is. And I'm, I haven't made the connection that that's where the pitch material uh, could be taken from. Um, one thing that I really like about your book is your chapter on finding comparable films. And I think this is overlooked quite a bit. This is something that producers do when uh, they're putting together a business plan, trying to raise financing. And I don't think uh, a lot of filmmakers put much thought into that. You know, what film is close, similar to my film? Okay, Star Wars. <laughs> That's enough, right? <laughs> but but there's a lot more to it than that. Definitely. And I think a lot of, it's interesting because there's the creative and there's the marketing, right? There's two different hats. And some mm -hmm. writers only want to wear the creative. And God bless you if you get to do that. I'm not a good enough writer to just only do that. I have to do the marketing as well. There's plenty of producers out there who are only interested in the marketing. They're producers who believe that the best script is one you don't have to read, right? Because it sells itself and they don't ever have to read it in the process because they can flip it. It's almost like a real, uh, you know, a real mm -hmm. estate investor flipping. They're not really interested in the art. So there's these two ends of the spectrum, the creative and the marketing. And uh, people who are doing business plans, producers who are raising money for equity investors or finding distributors are always looking at comps. Uh, comparable projects. And many creatives can look down their nose at that, that they're not trying to be this cliche X meets Y, I'm above all that. But the truth is, it's it's a lot like if you've ever bought a house. When you get your house appraised, they look at what homes sold in your neighborhood within the last six months to try to assess its market value. And that's what happens with comps. They look at what feature films you know did in the last five years what TV has been on that's been successful. Of course, you want to be unique and fresh. Of course, you want to break out. But if it's broadcast, you got to come on a channel or cable. you got to come on a channel. And the streaming networks have changed this a lot, and our landscape is changing dramatically. But at the end of the day, you got to get to that viewer, whether they're buying a ticket or whether they're clicking on a remote. How do they find you in the mass? So how do you... Um, you know, how do you remember in the old days, you used to go to Blockbuster Video and they would say, if you like this video, and then you'd look down and there'd be mm -hmm. a bunch of a shelf of videos. And IMDb does that now on their site as well. So that's what, you know, all of this stuff, we, we live in a predatory, predatory time on social media. I was literally just talking to a girlfriend about her broken air conditioning and uh, getting her, someone getting a bachelor's degree. And I got ads this morning for air conditioning and bachelor degree <laughs> programs. So, I mean, it's just, it's, that's horrifying, but at the same time you're getting sent stuff. So you watch a movie and if you liked it, maybe you went on Rotten Tomatoes and voted for it. You're going to get what's similar. Those are your comps. And so for you to look at, you know, three other, um, police procedural dramas, four other low budget comedies, whatever it is, Look at the things that are like yours. And, and you don't say it's just Star Wars because people, first of all, which Star Wars and what about Star Wars? So what you might be saying is 
it's got the irreverent teen dialogue of Juno mixed with the magical realism of Jane the Virgin. Okay, now I kind of get what you're saying when you're crossing those two. I understand what you what you're saying. Is it the tone? Is it the genre? Is it the target audience? Maybe you're doing a female Fast and the Furious. Okay, I I get what you're trying to do there. I immediately think of the I can see the poster, I can see the trailer. I know who your target audience is and I know how you've done a fresh spin. Okay, what is it? Now let me hear your pitch. It's just that hook. It's the, you know, you walk into the restaurant and you smell the wonderful smells. Okay, now let me put it in front of me. Let me see the menu. Now, if you're producing an indie film, should you be comparing it to other indie films? Uh, Yes, and you should be comparing it to successful indie films. And one of the challenges with a lot of independent filmmakers who are doing, you know, 500000 to $3 million projects or 20000 no budget, you know, it's whatever range it is, it's very hard to find comps that are close because you may have a great $500,000 budget project, but that you can only find $5 million and $10 million comps. So in my projects and in my presentations, I often break out creative comps versus marketing comps. So maybe you're going to get the whiplash or, or whatever's right in your arena in terms of being current enough or being the right budget, but then feel free to go ahead and, and use tonally for touchstones. These are, these are the, you know, the groundhog day. It's not current enough and it had too big of a budget. It's not relevant, but it has that kind of maybe, um, coming again and again and again theme. Maybe you're working with some sort of a nonlinear storytelling technique and you want to conjure that very quickly. So you use Groundhog Day as a comparable. You're not saying it's going to have that caliber of cast or that box office. It's just a marketing touchstone. So I think it's important as a creative, you have the luxury of using those creative comps um, when it's in a business plan and you're presenting to people for whom you're wanting to borrow money or do a joint venture with, you need to really know, uh, and all this inf- most of this information is public and none of it's accurate. We all know that, but you get as close as you can get. You know, how many weeks were was it in the theaters? Where did it do well? I found one of my favorite films of all time is Waking the Divine. And I was surprised how well a lot of the films I like, how well they do in the Netherlands. Well, who knew? But you can find this out on IMDb. So then you might want to hold that, if you're independently distributing, might want to hold that one back to hopefully have a success and then sell it. Or maybe that's the pre-sale, the real obvious pre-sale for your foreign territory. And you go to that uh, distributors who've distributed your comps. That's the other thing people don't realize. Your comps is your, you can reverse engineer your prospect list. Because those are the people who have that same sensibility and have had successes and have a track record in that genre or that type of film. So there's your top 10 who you should be going after and why. Because you can Hmm. broach the subject with their comps because they did them. Is IMDb the only place to find out these, uh, to do this research or are there other sites that do this as well? There's a ton. And actually on my website, I list all of them. So I have heatherhale.com forward slash story selling. And I also have uh, heatherhale.com forward slash film and TV resources, or just go onto the site, but you'll see um, there's the numbers there. I, I have a list and it says, you know, box office statistics. And then there's just all these hyperlinked. So you just click and go to every single one of them. 
So none of them are accurate because nobody tells the truth about their budget. And I think it's unfair because you look at a studio budget and maybe they had a $200 million budget, but the truth is they had another hundred million or 200 million in marketing. So the ROI on a studio budget, you might be your little $500,000 film might've made 10 million and blew away the profitability of that studio. And you didn't have as much at risk because you weren't spending that budget again on marketing. Do you have any advice on uh, writing a good query letter? Uh, I know in your book, you mentioned that. Um, and you said that most people don't read emails, <laughs> that uh, if you write an email to someone, uh, most likely the person that you send it to is not going to actually read it or actually yeah. get it. How many emails did you delete unread today? Um, mm -hmm. I don't delete emails. Uh-oh. At all? I deleted a lot. I deleted a lot. Yeah. I mean, I look at I look at junk stuff. Well, okay. There's, I scan there's, through. there's junk. There's spam mail, obviously. But. Yeah. But those people, those emails that are so hard for them to write might end up in junk or spam. Like I have junk sure. and spam. Who knows the difference, right? You, you scan through, control A, delete. All of it. Unread. I had a, a girlfriend once who came to LA from London and she met some very high profile people and had a lovely time, like went restaurant hopping with them and they all bonded and she wrote them the next day and never heard from them again. And she thought that was fake LA phony people. And if she, you know, she like immediately got cynical and jaded. And I said, what did your subject line say? And I don't know what it was. I said, why don't you say, you know, I had so much fun with you at the sky bar tonight, like put in your subject mm -hmm. line. So that's going to, and so she rewrote just the subject line. All of them responded the next day. <laughs> yep. Right. Yep. That, so that is true. Don't immediately true. assume people have forgotten you or they were being fake or phony. Like take the onus upon yourself of proactively making it easy for other people to help you. So in your, in your queries, if you're querying cold, like ice cold, get to the fricking point, Right. I have a contained thriller, a, a you know, a, a 700K SAG modified low contained thriller that's got a lot of comedy. You wrote XYZ or you produced XYZ and I think it'd be right up your alley. Could I send you the one sheet? Like, and I wouldn't, I, you, you know, put whatever all that in the subject line or? <laughs> no, I, I would put it, here's an example. I used okay. to have a company called uh, StoryWorks Entertainment. And we had a lot of projects and we were really trying to hit the four quadrant audience. And my goal was that a husband and wife or a couple could go uh, see this movie in one theater and grandma could take the grandkids to the exact same movie in the next theater, right? It was be a movie mm -hmm. that everybody would like. And I used to call that sexy Disney. That was my mm -hmm. goal. It would be a fun, you know, kind of a romancing the stone Raiders of the Lost Ark. It would have its love story, but it would be tame so that, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever been on an airplane I was watched on an airplane just the other day and I was looking through the cracks in the seat to the most graphic sex scene on the back of this. And I'm thinking there's children here. Like, it's just, you know, like what's appropriate. So anyway, someone wrote me and pitched something. And in the subject line, it said, I have a great sexy Disney comedy for you. So I always use their words back to them. As a matter of fact, another example. Um, oh, who was it? Anyway, an actress you all know, and I can't remember her name at the moment, but it doesn't matter. She had written that she always likes to play the goofball. She loves physical comedy and pratfalls, and nobody ever lets her do it. So in my subject line, I said, I have, um, you know, a goofy uh, pratfall ridden, whatever. I used her language back. 
So mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Another thing I do with companies is I go on, this is real obvious, this is sales and marketing 101, but it seems all of our wonderful creative entrepreneurs always forget this stuff because it's your baby. So you, you think it'll sell itself. But I go onto their websites and I look at their mission statement. And then I use the words, keywords from their mission statement and send it back to them. So if you look at like, you know, participant productions, companies like that, like what do they say they're all about? Then give them what they say they're all about. Or ABC or HBO, what do they say? If you can get your hands on their mandates, which I typically can, you know, I'm always willing to share. You can see what they say, what they say their brand is. You know, USA, to USA, characters welcome, blue sky. What do they say they're looking for? Then say, you know, I have a blue sky project filled with eccentric an ensemble of eccentric characters. There's your subject line that has all of their keywords in it. Why wouldn't they open that? That's what they're looking for. <laughs> and you it's said, like a job interview. Yeah. 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 You know, what I mean by that is your you want to solve their problem. Absolutely. And and a lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh, I want to sell my film. Well, to sell your film you have to solve their problem right. and their problem is feeding that monster of, of needing to produce material. And why they don't want to miss out on the opportunity of working mm-hmm. with you. They don't want yep. to be kicking themselves because they didn't get, you know, Ron Howard's directorial debut. Did you say earlier that most people read the PSs more than the actual email? Yeah, there's some statistics that have been done with that. It's probably dated information, but I know that people will... Yeah, people will scan through. So the subject line and your PS. So a lot of times what I do is I write, I, I, I either write my email in Microsoft Word or I make sure I'm offline because you know what happens when you accidentally send it and it's all queued up oh, and you're in the yeah. middle. So I just wait. But a lot of times I will write something and it feels like I come out of the gate too strong and hard. And then something I've written at the very bottom is really fun and engaging that will bring them into the email. So I move that up so that I'm more lighthearted. Like, Sometimes I'll, I'll, this can make me sound awful, but I know it's true of other people. I, 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 right? My email is, I Mm -hmm. think, I want, I, whatever, like get over yourself. And then at the (laughs) very bottom, you're like, oh, by the way, how was your daughter's birthday? So then I just take at the end, the afterthought and make it the first thought, because that's what's most important to them is I hope you had a wonderful vacation with your daughter. How was it? Blah, blah, blah. That's terrific. And then get into your point. And then if what you're asking for is, Like a lot of times you don't want to throw obstacles in front of yourself. So a lot of times people will say, um, and I did it myself just a moment ago, um, if you'd like to read the one sheet, you don't want them to read the one sheet. You want them to read the script. If they respond and say, can you send me the one sheet? You absolutely want to have a locked and loaded, terrific one sheet. But why say, um, I'm going, you know, let's say I'm, I'm going from A to Z and Z is my goal. Would you like step B? No, (laughs) no, don't say, you know, and you can even put the log line and synopsis in there at the bottom below your signature so that your email looks shorter. And if they are curious, they can just look down. Or another thing I've started doing too is putting pitch packages on either password protected or I don't even care if they're password protected anymore. Pitch packages on my website so that I can reference it and I can do the title in italics and underlined. And then if you make it a hyperlink, it they can just click. They're interested, just they don't even have to ask. They can see it. Just click on the pitch package it's right there. So it's okay to include the synopsis and log line in the first email? Not necessarily. It depends on who you're pitching to. Yeah. I think if you're pitching to someone who you know, 
I mean, just sort of whatever feels right. But if I did put the log line, I think it's appropriate to put the log line in the first email. Yes. The synopsis is kind of 50-50. You got to trust your gut. Um, but I would definitely put it below your signature so that they feel like here's here's my quick little intro. I've built rapport. Here's my log line. Can I send you the screenplay? And then if they happen to look below your screen, your signature block, there's the little one paragraph synopsis. And what should be in there, you know, people, that's a whole nother conversation, but we cover that in the book. You know, people think that it's one, one paragraph on the setup. Well, maybe, depends again on who you're pitching to, but they might want to see in there that there's a fire burning, there's a chase sequence, like they're looking for moments, like that's what they're selling. Like, is there, if you're pitching to someone who's faith-based and there's a sex scene, you know, those are things that are going to jump out at them. So you want to make sure you're pitching the right project to the right people in the right way and at the right time. That's a lot of information, <laughs> a lot of information to digest. Uh, I'm sitting here. My head is spinning. Of course, Read it the always book. spins. I'm going to. I'm going to. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to read the book. Heather. All right. Where can people get the book? Uh, it's on Amazon, of course, Amazon.com. And it's also on Michael Weezy Productions. It's actually 20% off right now. It's below Ooh. 20 bucks. Perfect and, time to buy it. Yeah. For me. And on my website, of course, I have links to both of them. Oh, what if they want an autographed copy? Can they do, they go to your website? Give me a, send me an autograph. They could copy. actually. I have a few. I would happily do that. See, I'm a marketing there guy too. There you go. Not really, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Heather, have we touched on everything we want to touch on today? Well, we got to have you back on. I'm happy to. Well, after you read the book, I will happily come back. No, I um <sighs> happy to talk about anything. I love this. This is my my life, my dream, my passion, my. I think the thing, one of the things that's most important to me, in addition to my own, you know, family and stuff, is um, empowering storytellers to tell their story mm -hmm. and to honor their truth. And a huge part of that is story selling. It's helping them make a living, or at least, you know, art isn't art until it's encountered. So let's mm -hmm. get it out there. And so I think the more people who feel like, wow, I can do this. You know, it's one thing to sit at home and think, well, this TV is crap. I could do better than this. Well, it's another thing to do it. And, yep. and it, there's a, I know lots of writers, as I'm sure you guys do, who talk about writing all the time and never write. So once you've written and done the hard, heavy lifting, the precious work, you know, you, you owe it to yourself and to that baby to honor it with some really awesome marketing material and get it to the people who can do justice to it. So if I do nothing else in my life but help people tell their stories, it will be a life well lived. Thanks for uh, coming on today and sharing no all this information. We really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having great. me. I appreciate it. Well, that's our show for today. Get Real Indie Filmmakers is created by Forrest Day Jr. And Forrest, you're also the host of Rolling Tape on YouTube. I certainly am. And don't forget my audiobooks. I oh, yeah. love to push my audiobooks. So, and uh, it's also hosted by you, Jeffrey Michael Bays. He's the author of Between the Scenes: What Every Film Director, Writer, and Editor Should Know About Scene Transitions, and his latest book, Suspense with a Camera: A Filmmaker's Guide to Hitchcock's Techniques. And you're going to be doing the audio version of that book, by the way. I am. Looking I'm working on it. All right. On our next show, Steve Kaplan. By Blondie. Get Real Indie Filmmakers <laughs> is a production of Borges Networks, 2019.